Assalamu guys, I'm Mohsin. Welcome to this episode of Millionaire Muslim. Here's a snippet of what's to come. She's like, no, you need to be applying to Oxford or Cambridge. And I was like, no, no, don't be silly. Before we get into this episode, we just wanted to spend a few seconds telling you about Islamic Finance Guru, or IFG for short. Mohsin and I co-founded IFG in 2015 because we couldn't find content about personal finance and Islamic finance for Muslims like you and I. Nowadays, alhamdulillah, we reach an audience of hundreds of thousands and our goal is to keep providing great content to help you guys. So if you're looking for halal investments and Islamic mortgages or startup funding, check us out at islamicfinanceguru.com. And if you want to get in touch with us directly, you can get me on mohsin at islamicfinanceguru.com and you can get Ibrahim on ibrahim at islamicfinanceguru.com. Enjoy the episode. At IFG, we really value someone trying to run a halal business without dealing in riba. And we love it when Muslims bring something innovative to the table. And that's why we support Shropshire Hills-based Euro-Quality Lamb, the largest Muslim-owned lamb abattoir in Europe. And I've actually been there and they're doing something genuinely impressive. And it has infused within it the Muslim ethos. What's special about Euro-Quality is that out of the 15,000 lambs they process every week, they only select a handful of the best breeds of grass-fed lamb for their home delivery service. The meat is cut how you want it. English cuts, desi cuts, barbecue style. You just don't find this stuff at your local butchers. So order online at eurocualitylambs.co.uk forward slash shop and reference Islamic Finance Guru to get yourself a free masala marinade worth £4.50 and a YouTube recipe hijri calendar worth £5. Terms and conditions apply. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the Millionaire Muslim Podcast. Today I have a very special guest on as an interviewee with the podcast. It is our very own Mohsin Patel. Assalamu alaikum. Not that special. The hunter turned hunted. The interviewer turned interviewee. Indeed. I'm looking forward to it. And uh, what I thought would be interesting today for our audience is to find out about you know your story about getting into Oxford mm. and the entire journey that you went on mm. in that interview process because yeah. I know there's a lot of mystique around it is there so a lot of rumors exactly I'm here to quash them all well you know let us know who you uh, who you bribed and uh, <laughs> yeah. we'll make a big beeline straight for him I mean I, I can't let you know exactly who I bribed but I can tell you the amount that it took <laughs> Do you put your credit card details at the bottom of the personal <laughs> statement? <laughs> with, the, with the CVV or whatever they call it. It's, uh, call me for the CVC. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So, yeah, over to you, Mossin. How did it start? So, it actually started with me not intending to apply to Oxford at all. Um, I was one of those, I was going to say kids, but when you apply to uni, you're like 18, aren't you? Yeah. So, I was one of those that never really thought that Oxford was for me. I was actually all set to go to Nottingham. I hadn't done the applications, but I'd done like the, the draft. They weren't submitted. And I think I was applying to Nottingham, Durham and, and maybe a few others. Right. But Nottingham I think is the one that I was was gonna go for. And that was to study French and Russian. So I remember distinctly we used to have these like lunchtime one on one Russian lessons with this like teaching assistant type person. And, called um, Vladimir Klitschko. <laughs> no, she's called Vera Timtishin. All right. And I'm eternally grateful to her. And um, she, so I went up, it was like, it used to be like a 15 minute thing. She was like, oh, you know, it's like standard small talk. How's it going? Whatever, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, oh, you must be doing your uni stuff right now. I was like, yeah. She's like, where are you applying? And I said, I'm going to go to Nottingham. And Nottingham has a good Russian department as well. So I was like, you know, strong Russian department and stuff like that. And she just looked at me like I was 
crazy. She's like, what do you mean, Nottingham? And I was like, yeah, Nottingham, <laughs> you know, it's a good university. Yeah, it is. And she's like, no, you need to be applying to Oxford or Cambridge. And I was like, no, no, don't be silly. That's not for me. And she was like, no, like, why, why is it not for you? And she basically spent the 15 minutes convincing me that it was for me and that I should go away and sort myself out, basically. I was like, okay. So I, I came away from it thinking maybe she's got a point. Um, went downstairs into what was called the learning centre, which for our sixth form was basically just a, a bay of computers. And um, went on there, typed in Oxford, no, I think I typed in Cambridge, actually. I typed in Cambridge. And bearing in mind, the reason for the haste was that I think the UCAS applications were imminent. And my school was one of these pretentious schools that had a whole process for Oxbridge applicants. Like, they'd been preparing for months in advance. Yeah, You had to get, like, clearance from the head of really? Oxbridge applications or whatever and stuff like that. So I never considered myself to be part of this elite club. And so I typed in Cambridge and the first thing I came across was, I think I still don't really understand it, but I think they have a system where it's kind of like the American system where you study something else for a bit and all this kind of stuff. Right, I see. And um, I was trying to get my head around it in this remaining 45 minutes of lunch or whatever. And I was like, you know what, this is just too complicated. Let me just go to Oxford. (laughs) So I typed in Oxford and then I was like, okay, this makes a lot more sense. Uh, The modern language degree makes a lot more sense here. And I was like, okay, cool, I'll apply to Oxford. So the next step was to get to go to this guy who's the head of Oxbridge admissions internally. And you basically have to ask him that, you know, I, I want to apply because he had a whole strategy and stuff like that. So I remember we used to have a sport at the end of the day, that particular day, I can't remember what day it was. And instead of going to us, I skipped it and I thought I need to go and chat to this guy. His name was Dr. Holland. So I knocked on his door and I said, hi, I just wanted to chat to you because I'm thinking about applying to Oxford. And he was like, you're thinking about applying to Oxford? doesn't work like that, I'm afraid. And sat me down for like half an hour, basically giving me a mini interview and testing my motivations. (laughs) (laughs) At which point I had to semi-blag anyway, because the truth was that, you know, I'd just been put onto it. Yeah. And for whatever reason, by the end of it, he was kind of like, okay, I'm actually quite excited by this. Um, (laughs) I think he saw it as a bit of a David and Goliath situation. And he was like, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to speak to your subject tutors. Right. And um, from there, I will decide if you're going to apply, basically. So I was like, okay. And then, yeah, he went away and did that. And um, long story short, I ended up applying. Would you like to disclose your grades? Which ones? Yeah, GCSE A-levels, just to give like context. Yeah, sure. So GCSE, I got two A-stars and seven A's, which in hindsight for Oxbridge is not very good at all. Yeah. But uh, at the time, I was delighted. (laughs) (laughs) Because, I mean, we studied together, and you you know what my study habits are Yeah, well, I mean, I wouldn't call them habits. (laughs) I wouldn't particularly call it study either. Yeah. So at the time, I was delighted. You know, not even a B in sight. A couple of A stars as well. And uh, it was brilliant. Interestingly, though, that was the spur for me because I was kind of like, right, I've somehow managed to bag these GCSE results and now I kind of need to kick on. So I, I had a really exceptional like AS and A level. Um, got like full marks in my French and stuff. So that was good. But I think it was the probably the fear that 
they're going to find out that I didn't really get these GCSE grades. <laughs> I better, better start proving myself. <laughs> so yeah, by Oxbridge standards, they weren't great GCSEs. I was kind of already on a bit of a back foot with that. But I felt pretty confident that my language skills were pretty strong. And yeah, so I kind of got invited to the interview. And probably the most devastating thing about it was, as you know, Oxford has a like a three-day thing. So you have to stay overnight, um, usually in the college that you apply to, while you go through the interview process over the forthcoming days. And I remember getting there the first night. So this was, it's usually in December, the interview process. And so pretty much the time that we're recording this and it's kind yeah. of early dark nights and stuff. That's true, isn't it? It's literally... It's about now, actually, yeah. yeah. I think it is early December because it's when the students go off for... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, quite poignant that we're doing this now. I mean, it would have been, what year? 2008? Yeah, so I started in eight. so it would have been the December of 2007. Wow. So pretty much 12 years. It might even be to the day, who knows? Yeah. So anyway, I get there on the evening, I settle into my room and stuff, and my phone rings, and it's a friend of mine from school. And I thought he was just ringing for, you know, good luck, how's it going, whatever. You know, I pick up, and I'm like, hey, how's it going, whatever. And he's like, oh, have you heard from school today? And I was like, that's a weird question to ask me. I was like, no, I've not heard from school today. And he was like, basically, there's been a car crash, and Johnny and Danny, who are two really good mates of mine, uh, have, like, well, Danny's passed away. Wow. And uh, Johnny's in a coma. Really? Yeah. It's really weird because, you know, you see on TV when people are delivering bad news and they're like, oh, like I think you should sit down or something. Yeah. It was the f- genuine, the first moment, and I still think to this day, probably the only moment that I've been genuinely shocked. It's a very strange emotion. And um, I was completely floored. And, yeah, it was really, really weird. I was kind of all alone, near enough the first time I'd been away on my own for certainly this yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had a very disturbed night. And Johnny and Danny, like, they were really good friends. Yeah, you? yeah, absolutely. Danny especially, the one who had died. And, and what about Johnny? Johnny was a good friend as well. Really nice guy. What happened to him? So he eventually passed away as well. Really? At the time he was oh, in a coma. God. And the car kind of spun out of control. And it was on a road that was lined with trees. And oh, no. literally, if you'd just missed a f- you know, few yards, it would yeah. have gone into open grass. But sadly, that wasn't the case. Kind of went through that. Didn't really sleep that much. Um, I remember distinctly having a dream about Danny as well. And kind of thinking he was still alive when I woke up. Oh, no. Which is, yeah, really weird. I kind of toyed with the idea of telling you know, the Oxford admissions people. Yeah. But then I, I don't know for what reason I didn't. I guess I didn't really like to make a big deal of it. Yeah. And I just ploughed on. But it wasn't the most ideal prep. And then, yeah. Kind say of, that again, yeah. Yeah. And then went into the interview. Yeah, the interview was good fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what happened there? <laughs> so the interview was good fun. So for those of you listening, the modern languages degree at Oxford is very literature heavy. So... In that typical Oxford way, they're kind of like, yeah, you go away and just learn the language. That'll take care of itself. We're here to study classic literature Um, in the native language, of course. The French interview was, the format was you get, I think, half an hour or 15 minutes. Uh, You've got to turn up before your time and you get a passage, a literary passage in English. And uh, you have to analyse it and you have to go in and you have to talk about it in English. So I went, it was a... This is a French interview. French interview, yeah. So it was an extract from one of the D.H. Lawrence novels. I think it was The Rainbow. Right. 
and I kind of just analysed it, just like you would analyse any text. Uh, went in, and he was kind of like, yeah, just talk me through it. It was very open. So I talked to him through it, kind of line by line and whatever. We had some discussions about a few things, and one of the advices that I got beforehand was, you know, if you don't know something, don't try and blag it. Yeah. Just genuinely be like, I don't really know. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot I don't remember, but... I remember distinctly one of the things that the tutor, Dr. Nye, asked me was about the the word blue. The author was using the word blue in a certain context. And he was like, you know, what do you think is going on here? Why, why do you think he's using the word blue? Yeah. And I was like, I've got no idea, to be honest. But I'd be keen to hear what you think and kind yeah. of put it back onto him. And then yeah. he kind of gave his thoughts and whatever. And stuff like that. So that all kind of went quite well. And at this point, I was thinking, yeah, this is all right. I can do this. <laughs> And then after a little while, he's like, okay, now we're going to talk in French. So I was like, okay. So he takes my personal statement. And I think at this point, he wasn't really... I think he was just trying to make sure that I wasn't, A, a complete numpty. Yeah. Um, but also trying to assess my level of French. Yeah. So he picks up my personal statement because obviously that's a good talking yeah. point. And he's like, oh, okay, so, you know... I see here that you've put that you can speak Swahili. Yeah, um, in French. In he French, was, yeah, this is all in French. Now, the truth is that I can speak a bit of Swahili, but probably not as much as was probably implied in my personal <laughs> statement. You probably say like, hello and hi. <laughs> yeah, hi. exactly. But the thing to bear in mind is that, if you'll remember, I wasn't intending to apply to Oxford. And no other universities interview. certainly not for one languages interview yeah so my personal statement was basically written with this in mind i.e that i wouldn't be interviewed not that i was lying or anything but i think it would have been implied that i spoke a bit more swahili than i actually could so he says okay so you can speak swahili and i'm like yes oui. okay <laughs> like, oui, yeah. <laughs> and he's like okay so what do you think about swahili as a language and I was like, okay. And in my head, I'm thinking, right, this is really bad. But I was like, right, okay. It's an African language. What do African languages sound like? <laughs> they sound quite harsh and they sound quite, you know, kind of like staccato. Yeah. And uh, I was trying to bring the conversation back to French because I didn't want to dwell on this Swahili point. <laughs> so in French, I'm like, okay, so I think Swahili is really cool language, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But... um it's not as beautiful as French is. <laughs> <laughs> and he picks up on this immediately and he's like, I mean, who are you to say that? What what defines the beauty of a language? And at this point, I'm in all sorts of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> and it's still all in French, of course. Yeah. And so we suddenly we're talking about what constitutes the beauty of language in French. And I don't even know what I said. And I can't even remember the rest of the interview that well. <laughs> but then the real clincher was at the end. Because in the room was my French professor-to-be, who was interviewing me, Dr. Nye. And there was also another professor there. I forget her name. Dr. Her first name was Claudia, but I forget her surname. So she had just been sat there in silence all this time. Just, you know, pleasantly smiling and nodding. And I think she had introduced herself as a German professor. Right. So I presume she was just there to like make up the numbers because yeah. I know yeah, there yeah. are rules about having to have yeah. two people in the room and so on and so forth. At the end, it's kind of, you know, all handshakes and smiles. And I'm going out of the room and this other professor who hadn't spoken, literally hadn't spoken all this time, she says something, she mutters something to me. And um, 
I presumed it was in German because I didn't understand it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> she says it to me and I'm like, I'm really sorry, I, I don't speak German. Um, <laughs> and she's like, oh no, sorry, I was just practicing my Swahili. <laughs> so I don't even think I said anything back. I think I just literally walked out because there wasn't really any coming back from that. Um, so that was my French interview. And then I had my Russian interview, which was a very interesting experience. Um, not because there were any funny anecdotes like the French one, but just because it was so out of my depth. The professor was there, Dr. I forget her name, and she had like a graduate student with her. Right. It was weird because in the middle of a massive room, she'd plonked a chair in the middle and given me a Russian poem and just told me to recite it. Russian is really hard, and Russian poetry is really hard. Reading Russian's just fine. I read the poem, and she's like, okay, now tell me what was going on there. And I was like, I don't know. I actually don't know. And there was no, like, there was just no getting away from it. Yeah. Um, well, did you do Russian A-level? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Right, okay. I did Russian A-level. And there was no getting away from it, and I was like, I, I really don't know. But to be fair to her, she kind of, like, guided me through it. Yeah. And yeah, I just remember feeling like really incompetent. <laughs> so I was kind of, I mean, I wasn't thinking I wouldn't get an offer. Yeah. I could see why they wouldn't give me one and yeah. I could see why they would give me one. Yeah. And it was just kind of wait and see what happens. So hang on, what, so what, was the, what would be the positives in the Russian interview? I mean, I probably said some good stuff. I can't remember. Maybe yeah. some like good literary points. Right. And I guess, you know, their stance would be that we can always improve the language, but you, you know, yeah, you can't, you can't improve the analysis. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's probably the basis on which they made the offer. Little did they know. Little did they know. Exactly. Yeah. So then when I got the offer, I was obviously happy. Where were you when you got the offer? At home, because it's by post. And I'd read before that you can kind of predict if it's an offer because the envelope's slightly thicker because they enclose a reading list with it. And so I, I remember getting a relatively thick envelope and I was like, yeah, I think it's an offer. So yeah, alhamdulillah, it was an offer with a reading list and all that scary stuff. And then, yeah, off it was to Oxford for four years. Allahu Akbar. Alhamdulillah. <clears throat> when I got my offer, I mean, I won't hijack your story, but I was, I literally just um, finished doing Umrah. All right. And I prayed that if, if it's good for me, Allah you know, give me my uh, entry into Oxford. Wow. And if it's not, then don't. And it was literally, I came back to the hotel and my mum my rang. Really? Yeah. And she said, you've got in. Unbelievable. I was like, that is, uh, that, that, I think that was the first time I went to Haram as well. Really? So that was uh, pretty impressive. That's a profound moment, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, if it hadn't been for Oxford, of course, we probably wouldn't have met. That's true. Possibly Islamic finance guru wouldn't have happened. Possibly not. None of these things, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, it's all about luck. So, well, it's not all about luck. It's not luck. Um, so I suppose final kind of thoughts for people who might have, you know, aspirations to apply to Oxford or might have brothers or sisters or kids mm. who might want to apply to Oxford. So, yeah, my advice is always that you should never feel excluded from applying like, why would you not apply? Like, if you've got even a modicum of optimism about getting an offer from Oxford or Cambridge, why would you not apply? At the minimum, it's a really good learning experience. You'll get an anecdote out of it. Yeah. And at best, you know, you'll get an offer. And if you get an offer and you then want to turn it down, that's fine. I don't think many people do that, but 
Yeah. You should at least put yourself in the in the hunt. Yeah. And then firstly you should never feel excluded from wanting to apply. Secondly, if you do apply, you should apply strategically. And by that I mean, you know, are there ways that you can improve the chances of your offer? Mm. So for example, I think all this is like public data, but if you look up the stats about, you know, if you want to do like law, um, you statistically might stand a better chance doing I don't know, law with whatever. I mean law's very hard. I think law's seven percent entry. Law's particularly hard. Law ENM is really hard. Yeah. Then I think it's PP and medicine. Is it engineering? Nine like percent engineering. Engineering will be up there as well. I'd say. But what I'm saying is that sometimes doing like a dual honors thing might make it easier. Might make it slightly easier. I think not many people look at that sort of and, thing. And there's a backdoor entrance, which is languages generally is like around yeah thirty percent acceptance. Is it thirty percent? It's some yeah. And then then um, I was looking at Oriental studies, right? Like Arabic and Oriental studies, yeah, or like classics. Some of the colleges is like forty fifty percent. Wow. Um, entrance because they have fewer applicants which is mad like and once you get to oxford and you don't want to do your degree yeah they'll be much more willing to let to you s- yeah at yeah. least talk to the other guys yeah, yeah, yeah. uh you know the, the, the other tutors and yeah. see if you know you can get in there instead yeah and because you've already passed the you know initial application and you're there yeah, yeah, yeah. it makes it a lot more easier and they're like okay he must be at least half you know all right here's a question for you if you had a friend that really wanted to do let's say something really useful like economics right i mean you can argue the usefulness but let's yeah, say okay. let's say it is useful yeah and they had an offer from somewhere respectable like uh, warwick yeah but they also had an offer from oxford backdoor entrance to do oriental studies yeah what would you advise that they do oriental studies to be honest really yeah i think the reason for that is twofold one is that once they get into oriental studies they can always try to switch over mm. and they've got a decent chance that that'll be allowed uh, because remember with, it, with it, there's no straight economics at Oxford. Yeah. There's always economics and something else. Yeah, yeah. So you can, economics and maths, economics and philosophy, I think, mm. PPE basically, mm. yeah. and economics and history. You could potentially get into it from a bunch of different angles. For him, Oriental Studies, I'd say history history and economics probably makes, makes more sense. Yeah. But even if he doesn't get allowed, you know, isn't allowed to switch over, I'd still take Oriental Studies at Oxford over um, economics at Warwick. Really? And that's not to put down Warwick. I think it's just that the Oxford degree, having Oxford or Cambridge on the uh, on the CV just adds so much clout and opens so many doors. And even more importantly, perhaps, it gives you a network mm. that you wouldn't get elsewhere for two reasons. One is that Oxford attracts the best people, mm. but also because of the collegiate system, you'll be much more friendly with a wider bunch of people yeah. than you would at somewhere like Warwick, yeah. which is, uh, you know, just your standard university. Mm. Uh, so you might be friends with, a, you know, people within your network, like the societies you're involved in, or maybe, you know, where you live, perhaps, or through your, you know, your sports networks. But it's not the same as a college environment yeah. where you kind of know everyone in your like my my intake was 100 people I basically knew everyone and then the entire college was like 300 people yeah I basically knew at least everyone by face yeah and they were, they were all on Facebook and that's the kind of network that you would I think I knew everyone in your year as well because I was always <laughs> tailgating them into your accommodation <laughs> oh here he, here he is here again. he is again 
I guess the caveat to that might be, though, that if you really want to get into a specific job um, that economics is really useful for. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, like, I don't know, investment banking or whatever. I don't know if economics is useful for that, but... It is, yeah, it is, it is so, very useful. I don't know, I just, I hear what you're saying, and, like, Warwick is fantastic as a university, especially for economics. So, like, you would not go wrong if you yeah, did that. Yeah, But knowing what I know and having been to Oxford and just seeing the value add that it mm. brings, I think if you've got the opportunity, you should always take it. Yeah. It just, like, for me, it's a no-brainer. Even if you were doing, like, you know, the crappiest of degrees at Oxford. Yeah. Like, I mean, Oriental Studies arguably is the, probably the least competitive degree at Oxford. Yeah. It's still going to be high quality and yeah, uh, and it's going to open all sorts of doors. Yeah. Interesting. I think, broadly speaking, I agree. And I think that I'd also make that point more widely. So even in the workplace, for example, if you've got, because there's always this debate about, oh, I've got an offer from such and such a workplace, which might be like a very reputable place, but it's kind of smaller and you get more exposure. Or I've got this offer from this other place, which is like, you know, massive big corporation, great brand name, but I'm not going to get much actual work exposure. My advice at this point in my life would be go for the big brand name. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what you're saying about Oxford as well. At least early on in your career. Yeah. And also, to be honest, actually, I think that, well, maybe with economics, it might be different. But with any essay-based subject, I think Oxford, hands down, is you're going to learn more as well. I agree. Yeah. And you're going to um, become a better thinker at the end of it. I agree. And also, like, you know, your learning at university only in part takes place within the tutorials. Mm actually a lot of it took place outside for me yeah i was really good friends with this um mexican atheist communist madman yeah and uh i know him well and he was you know we'd have regular debates on philosophy and politics (coughs) and all sorts of things until like 3 4 a.m in the morning yeah because you know he was just going at me hammer and tongs yeah Hammer and sickle. Yeah, hammer and sickle, and I'd be like fighting back with my crescent moon and <laughs> and your green flag. Exactly, and uh, you know that's where I, I think a lot. That's the formative years of your of your life. Yeah, and I think overall you're going to get more interesting people at Oxford. Um, probably more varied, but maybe not. But I think probably more varied backgrounds, and you know you're just, you're just going to get a brighter bunch of people um, at Oxford than you would at most other universities. Some people won't like that, but it comes from a sincere place. Yeah, like if you're going to have a minimum entrance requirement at Oxford uh, or Imperial, for example, um, that is very high, you're going to get bright people at those universities. Yeah. But at the same time, like somewhere like Imperial is very much science focused. Yeah. So you're going to get a certain type of person yeah. at Imperial who are yeah. bright. Yeah. LSE are very bright people as well, but you're going to get a certain type of people there because they don't do anything other than, you know, business focused degrees. Mm. And you but but at oxford i think that you get uh, a much broader range of clever people because they do all sorts they yeah. do the, the science stuff they do the humanities yeah uh, they do the arts uh so you know you'll get like a broad range of clever people overall yeah oxford is good fun it was it was well probably we should park it there and um you know we should uh, inshallah at some point talk about my experiences yeah let's which were very different uh, <laughs> so it kind of will it'll show inshallah that you don't always have to be, you know, from one kind of, you know, cut cloth mm. to get in. Yeah. For context, Mohsin, you went to private school, right? Yeah. But you are from a very working class kind of background. Very working class, yeah. 
and I don't know, did other brothers and sisters go to university or no? They didn't. I was the first to go to. I was the first to go to private school. I was the first to go to university, and I wasn't the first to go to private school because I'm the youngest. And it wasn't because my parents only gave me the opportunity. Yeah. Uh, it's because I was the only one that passed the exam. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, have that. Classic. Classic. Well, on that bombshell, that was actually really insightful. I learned a lot myself uh, that I didn't think I you know, would learn because <laughs> I've known you for ages. Yeah. But yeah, and if you guys have any questions or thoughts that you'd like us to cover about this area, then uh, yeah, give us a shout. Assalamu alaikum. If you got this far, you must have enjoyed the podcast, which means you'll definitely love our other episodes and other content we produce as well, inshallah. Be sure to check out the website, islamicfinanceguru.com, as well as our YouTube channel and social media. Until next time, assalamu alaikum.